I always look at Dixon because you're the other old guy. I think I look in the room. Sorry. Uh, but the, uh, but I, you remember the comic books? This is just me. Remember the comic books? They had those ads with the guy getting the sand kicked up in his face or whatever. And then, uh, and it had, if you order this stuff or whatever, then he comes back and he's all built or whatever and then beats the guy up or whatever, can defend his girlfriend on the beach. You know, and I don't know if you remember. You remember that, Kevin? You remember? Okay, of course. We, we look at those ads. It's like, yes, that's who I want to be. Because believe it or not, I was that kind of scrawny guy on the beach who was maybe threatened a few times or got sand kicked in his face and may not look, may not have looked like I could have defended myself. One particular incident I remember in school was, um, I remember I was a sophomore in high school. We had some, a couple of brothers on the football team whose nicknames were elk and moose. I don't know. That might give you an idea of their physique. Uh, but anyway, I was talking to the one that was Elk, and uh, he may have not been the smartest guy in the world. And so I uh, may have been highlighting some of his lack of intellectual prowess uh, in the hallway during break. And, uh, and then he, back, this is, this is our school, we didn't have cell phones, but we had uh, phones, uh, pay phones in the lobby. And they were not p- phone booths, but they were the kind of wooden, you know, the phone's in, that has a wooden kind of case around it or whatever. Well, he, pretty amazing feat, he put me on top of that, you know, and, uh, and wouldn't let me come down. So everybody in the crowd is kind of laughing, you know, there's, I don't know, a few couple thousand people, uh, but uh, gathered around laughing at me while I'm up on the phone booth. Now, you have to remember, I was 5'1", 5'2", 5'3", somewhere in there, and weighed about 92 pounds when I was a sophomore in high school. So I wasn't what you would call a, a beast. I wasn't the rock. Nobody, nobody referred to me that way. Uh, and to make it worse, my five seven sister came down, saw me up there, came down, and she pushed the football player the way and got me off the phone booth. That was that was my celebratory moment of school when your older sister has to defend you, whoever I'm a football player, and save your life. Um, so. I did pray that God would help me to grow taller. I should have prayed for a little more weight as well. But by the time I got out of high school, I was weighed about 117 when I graduated from high school. So I was very thin, but I was six feet tall at that time. I grew about six one when I was in college. Got up to about 130 pounds. I had 2% body fat. That's how thin I was. Uh, thin, very thin. So when I joined gyms, there was a reason why I was joining a gym. It wasn't to lose weight. It was just simply to become this guy that people would respect. And one of the things I discovered was I would last about two to three weeks in every gym membership I was part of. I kept paying them because you don't quit your membership because you know why you don't quit your membership not because it's a contract, but because you think, I'm going to get started. I'm going to do this. This is, I am going to be, and then, and then when that one lapses, you find another one, I'm going to do it this time. This time, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. And, uh, and what I discovered is, um, that's, a, that's a lot of times why people join church. A lot of times people come to church because they don't like who they are. They don't like things that have happened to them in life. They don't like their self-image or self-esteem or whatever, however life is going. And so they become part of church because it seems like a place where they can become a better person. 
And, and they, we all have a picture of the person that we want to become. And church people sometimes uh, have a way of being like people who encourage you to join a gym. We are like, hey, look how great my life is. You could have this great life too. In fact, I've heard so many times people said that's exactly what evangelism is. People are to see how amazing our life is in Christ. And then they will want that amazing life too. And so they are drawn to become part of it. That's not really biblical. I don't know if you know that or not. That's not really biblical evangelism. No, nowhere in the church does say that you're supposed to go and show. Now, we are to be salt and light and so forth. But Jesus is always the highlight, the highlight of the church and highlight. And, and it's not who I am individually that is supposed to show people how powerful the church is. It's who we are together. And so when we talk about bodybuilding strategies, you, I don't know if you figured it out yet, but it's a little bit of a play on words. We're talking about how the body of Christ is built together and the strategy that comes from bringing us together as the body of Christ. That's what you get for free in the church. He shows us how we can be connected together connected together and how we can become part of this, this body of believers and, uh, and to know um, how, we can, how we can overcome life as a unit. Because we are, uh, the amazing part, what makes church amazing and what makes it miraculous and what makes it something that you can't find anywhere else is God brings people together that would not come together under any other circumstances. Meaning we, he connects us with people we would never be connected with otherwise. He unites us with people that we would never unite with otherwise. That he, he teaches us to love people that we would never love otherwise or that would ever love us. But that's what God does. And it goes across age barriers and race barriers and, and background barriers and, and all these different barriers that we put into place. God overcomes those things. And how you know that you really are in a place where God is doing a work is you, when you see that God is bringing people together from all different backgrounds and from all different uh, demographics and so forth. So we, we look at this in Hebrews chapter 10. The writer of Hebrews is giving a, gives us this this little breakdown of some things that um, he teaches us how to be the people that we want to be. Because uh, he shows us kind of the secret, uh, or, or it's not really a secret because it's in the Word of God. But he shows us some strategies. He shows us some strategies on how we can be the people that God desires us to be. The people that God desires to be. Because when, when we are connected to the body of Christ, when we are built into the body of Christ we become we do become better individuals this is this is the key to being the best me that i can be is being connected to the best you that you can be and by me helping you to be the best you and you helping me to be the best me we become the best us that is possible so look in uh, hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 he says this he says therefore brothers Since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, he has opened for us through the curtain, that is his flesh. 
And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, for your word. And pray this morning as we look at your word together, Lord, that we realize you're talking to us. This is about us. We, we became part of this. Uh, but, Lord, we're, sometimes we treat church like a gym membership. Uh, it doesn't just happen because we're a member. Lord, we have to work out. We have to actually show up. We actually have to do the things that you have for us to do. And, uh, Lord, it has to be a part of our daily routine and part of our daily lives. And, Father, help it to be that. Help show us how we can change our daily routines and the way we think about life and the way we're living life, our whole philosophy about life, so that we can be the people that you created us to be. If we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, here are some bodybuilding strategies. This is, this is to become the you that you want to be, to be the person that God created you to be. And the first thing that the Word points out to us that we have to be is we have to have accessibility. We have to have accessibility. I don't know, um, uh, every church I've ever pastored, um, except here, Maybe, maybe it's happened here and I don't realize it. We built a ramp for somebody, either a ramp on the church or a ramp uh, at somebody's house or whatever. And there's only one reason why you put a ramp in, uh, and that's because somebody can't get up the stairs anymore. And when you have, you get to a place of life where you can't get upstairs anymore, uh, you don't have access to a particular area that you want access to. And I remember, uh, especially at my last church, I remember we had one person, only one, who couldn't get up the stairs. It was a very young church, and so uh, we didn't, we didn't have, and we didn't have anybody with any disabilities that hindered them from getting upstairs. And so we had a lady who couldn't come to church, couldn't worship with us because she couldn't get up the stairs. And so we built a ramp. And I remember her reaction was, "You're building your because it was." Obvious, we were building the ramp just for her. Now, obviously, we were hoping that there would be other people. She represented maybe a larger group of people that didn't come because they couldn't get in. But it was at the moment. It was just for her. And, and I think this is one of the things about the church that is so important for us to understand. God makes it possible for all of us to get in. For all of us to get in. And sometimes we think, oh, he's made it possible for all those people. But I can't get in. I, I can't get to where they are. They, they've got like this backstage access pass to Jesus. And I will never have that kind of relationship with God. Because I'm this or I've done that or I've got these things wrong. And we view ourselves that way. We kind of view ourselves as people who can never be. You know, you look at somebody like uh, Billy Graham or Andy Stanley or, or, or all these different people. These major giants of the faith. And whoever your giant of the faith is. That you think they're just so all that in Christianity. We look at these people and think, I, I'm just not them. I can't, I'm not, I can't ever get to where they are. Uh, and, and it would blow our mind 
would blow our mind if we realized that Jesus loves us enough that he would grant us that access, even though we don't deserve it, even though we don't warrant it, even though I'm nothing special, that he would say, no, 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 you. You know, isn't that a special moment? I, I, I'm, I'm really beating up on myself a little bit here today, but I'm also going to just uh, be, give you this little bit of information because I know you'll never use it against me in the future. Uh, when we were uh, in school, in grade school, uh, I remember I kind of alluded to the fact that I was small and thin and may not have been as a physical, uh, have a lot of physical prowess. And that kind of, in my day, uh, recess was shall we say disorganized uh and basically they opened the doors of the school you went outside and for a period of time and whatever you could do in your lord of the flies environment uh you did and then when it was done they rang a bell and you came back inside and so sports would organize like softball and so we were going to play baseball or softball or whatever. And so kids would go out, let's all go out play baseball. And I would, and I get this sick feeling inside because I knew, I knew what was getting ready to transpire. They would, there would be two talented people. I would not get chosen to be a captain. And so, uh, so this was your captain, your captain. They would take a baseball bat and they would put their hands on the baseball bat. And whoever got to the top of the bat got to choose first. It was irrelevant to me who was going to choose first because I knew what position I was going to be chosen. And there was a girl in our class who was not very well liked and so forth and, and so forth. So I'm just all, I just would focus on her and I would think, please let me be chosen before her, you know, because I'm thinking, I know she can't play and she's not even going to play, but please don't make them, you know, cause it was really embarrassing when they would choose her, even though they knew she wasn't going to play before they would choose me just to make a statement about how little they wanted me to be on their team. And, uh, and so, uh, this was, a. you know, it feels like this period of life lasts forever. What well, didn't last forever. I, I get chosen from time to time now. Um, but, um, but I, but I remember those moments of being last chosen and there's no worse feeling in the world than thinking not only are you, uh, not capable of doing what everybody wants you to do, uh, but nobody wants you to do it. Nobody wants you. Nobody people feel forced to have to choose you. And it didn't make it better if the teacher was one of those cool teachers that came out to recess with you and said, uh, oh, somebody has to choose, Troy. You know, it's just you're forced to do it. And so, or Troy, you can be on my team because I think you're special. That doesn't help. Uh, and, and that's what happens sometimes in our journey of life is we just feel like I, I don't ever get the job that I want to get. I don't, I, don't make enough, I don't make enough money. I'm not good-looking enough. I don't have the best clothes. I don't, I, and, and so we see other people as being better than us. It took me a long time to realize that just because you're good-looking or just because you have money doesn't mean you don't feel that way in some capacity of life, that there's always a place where we feel not good enough. And so even those who have everything and have the best of everything still feel inadequate uh, when it comes to certain or particular areas of our life. And, and to understand that, and, and sometimes we look at Jesus as being this guy who's like that good teacher who says, well, of course, Jesus loves me. You know, of course, God loves me. God loves everybody. But it's more than that. It's more than that. What I'm talking about is more than that. This is, this is not just God saying, I think you're cool and you can hang with me. This is God saying, I'm going to not just, uh, it's, like, it's like having the rock as your cool teacher and him being able to say, I'm not just going to have you on my team. I'm going to give you 
every bit of strength that I have. All my gifts and abilities, I'm going to give them to you. Whatever makes me great, I'm going to make you great with that. It's like a superhero that's able to give you his superpower. Not just that you know the superhero, but that that superhero can make you super. And, uh, and that's, that's what Jesus does. Jesus invites us into a place where we actually get to experience God. And he gives to us the things that make him great. And, and that, that's what grace is. We, we have a little acronym. We say God's riches at Christ's expense. But we really don't focus on what those riches are. What those riches are. Meaning that he... Now, you might think, well, I want to be able to fly or be able to deflect bullets or whatever. Or even just be rich or powerful or whatever. And we get in our head what would make us great. But God says, okay, now this is the one thing you're going to have to trust me in. You're going to have to trust me that I know better than you what makes you great and what is great, what greatness is. And, uh, and you're going to have to trust that. But believe me, I can give you what is necessary for you to get there. And this is what he says in, um, in chapter 11, verse 19. He starts by saying, um, if I can find it again. Yes. Where did I get off pace? Oh, darn. Oh, turn the page. That's why. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have boldness, boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. Now, this is what he's saying. We Gentiles, we have a hard time understanding this. People who grew up outside the Jewish faith and, and not understanding the temple and so forth. You couldn't just waltz into the temple and just run into the Holy of Holies and have access to God. Um, if you grew up Catholic, you might have a better understanding of this because Catholic churches have some off-limits places to normal church folk. Uh, but being, if you're Baptist or Methodist or something like that, uh, you know, there's really not a place where you feel like you can't get to. Uh, especially if your daddy's a deacon, you feel like you can get anywhere in the church. Uh, and uh, but but there are in the Jewish faith, there were off-limits places, places you couldn't get to. So when he's saying we have boldness through the blood of Jesus, he's saying we can enter into places we never could get into before through the blood of Christ. Jesus makes it possible. He says, by a new and living way, he has opened for us through the curtain, that is his flesh. And, and since and he's saying we're now into the Holy of Holies. Now, let me tell you how holy the Holy of Holies is. You couldn't get in there. Only one person could get in there, even if you were Jewish. And that was the high priest. He was the only person who had access. And he, they had to tie a rope around him because if he wasn't who he needed to be to go in there, he would die because God is so holy and he's in the Holy of Holies unworthily. And if he went in, God would kill him and you'd have to drag him out because you couldn't go in and get him because you're not worthy either. And so, so they had tied a rope to him and hoped that everything would work out while he's in there and he could come back out again. That's how holy the Holy of Holies is. And now he's saying, you and me can get in there. We have free access into the holiest places of God. And he says, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, which is Jesus... Again, this is Jesus. He, Jesus has free access to the Father. And he's saying, now we have free access to the Father because we're connected to him. He says, let us draw near. He said, if you have access to God, why would you not draw near to God? Why would you not go where you can go? 
You know what I'm saying? You have a backstage pass. Why would you not use it? Why would you not go there if you can go there? And he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. All he's saying is, is you have been prepared by Christ. These are things that the priest would do to make sacrifices ready and, and to prepare themselves to be ready to go into the Holy of Holies. And he's saying that Jesus has done. These aren't things that, I mean, obviously we are baptized and, and, and so forth. But, but what he's literally talking about is, is, is more, well, it's not literal, it's figurative. And that he's saying, Jesus has done what is necessary. To make you who you need to be to have access to the Father. Now, so when he says later in, in where he says in another place in, God, in the Gospel of John, where he says, anything you ask in my name, it will be done for you. He's not joking. This is not, it's not some cruel joke. He's saying, you and I have access to the Father to get Anything we need to do what he put us here to do. That means if you need to speak a foreign language and you don't have the ability to speak a foreign language and you need to speak a foreign language to do what God has called you to do, he will give you that. He will give you that. If you need a million dollars for whatever reason you think you need a million dollars, if you actually do need a million dollars to do what it is God put you here to do, He'll give you the million dollars. You're like, wait a second. I'm I'm not kidding. This is not a joke. It's not some cruel sleight of hand thing or whatever. I'm being literal, meaning whatever you need to do. Have you ever done something or started a project or started to do something and gotten frustrated because you didn't have the tools you needed to finish the job? Doesn't that happen to everybody that, I mean, have you ever not gotten, been assigned to do something and thought, I'm just not able to? Have you ever been in a competition where you didn't feel like you had the strength or the power or the physical ability to do the thing that you want to do? I, you know, right now, the doctor said, Troy, you can't lift anything more than a gallon of milk. And I said, for how long? She said, a month. And I was like, a month? That's crazy. You know, like, boy, I can't live life like that. You know, it's like, how can I, how can I do anything if I can't? I have grandchildren and I'm pretty confident they weigh more than a gallon of milk. You know, I can't, I can't see them. And because every time I'm the granddad, their other granddad has back issues and that's not a problem for, I'm sorry for him, but I'm the granddad who can pick them up. I can not only just pick one of them, I can pick all three of them up because I'm not that little wimp that I used to be in high school. And I, and, I, and, I, and I, I love that aspect. So when God says, I, I, I know this. If he's, he's saying to me, Troy, if you need to pick them up, in spite of what doctors say, I can give you the strength. Now, I need to be smart about that. <laughs> I need to know that it is the will of God that I need to pick them up. But if I need to, I can't. In fact, I can move mountains. Jesus said that. Mountains can be moved if necessary. Now, you have to believe, you have to believe it is an act of faith that you have that kind of access to God. That you have that kind of access to God, that whatever is necessary for me to do. And if you can't do it, if it can't be done, then you're probably not doing the thing that God believes has to be done. 
If God thinks the walls need to fall, then they will fall if you're obedient. And if they don't fall, then there's only one alternative, and that's he didn't think they needed to fall. And that's not a cop-out because he's proven he can do it. I mean, he raised Jesus from the dead. That pretty much trumps everything. If he can raise Jesus from the dead, he can do anything else. But he has done multiple other things. He's brought other people back from the dead. He's healed all kinds of diseases. He made blind people see. He, he over and over again demonstrated, whenever I ask for this, I can do it. Jesus showed us. Look, let me show you. Okay, this guy needs, you want this guy to see? Father, make the blind man see. Blind man sees. That's how this works. He's trying to say, I'm just doing this. You, all these people need to be fed. Let's feed all these people. 5,000, 4,000, doesn't matter. Let's feed them all. Every time, Father, feed these people. Boom, they're all fed. He's saying, you see how this works? I asked for it. It happens when God wants it to happen. He can do it. And now he's saying, now I'm giving you that access. He even told his followers, he said, you think I do great things? You're going to do even greater things. Because I'm giving you this access into the Holy of Holies, into the secret place of the Father. Open access to God. Okay, I think we've gotten, beat that point into place. But there, here's, here's what I want you to I want you to become part of the church. Become part of the church. This is why we become part of the church. This is why we join the church. Become part of the church. Become part of the church. He's going to do it. He's going to see me. He's going to say, here he comes. Yeah, become part of the church because Jesus shed his blood to give you access. All this is this is one of those free things that Jesus is offering you all access to the father when you become part of his church. When you become part of his church, when you say, I want to follow Jesus and I want to become part of the body of Christ, he's saying, I'm giving you access. And, and here's kind of how this works. <laughs> he doesn't always give you the power that you need for what you're doing. Sometimes he gives it to somebody else. And you've got to love that person and they got to love you in order for them to use their power to help you get what you want or what God has purposed you to do. Meaning he's given it to us collectively, collectively. That's what makes the church awesome. Which brings us to this next thing. Responsibility. Responsibility. Yeah, I'm not pacing myself very well here. Um, Responsibility. This is a Gandalf going to Minas Tirith for Lord of the Rings fans. But I love the Lord of the Rings story because it illustrates a very, uh, a great principle of what God has done for us. And that is the people of Minas Tirith were right on the border of Mordor, which is where the forces of evil were coming out. And before you think I'm having some type of geek spasm attack or whatever, there really is a point to this. Because it, it illustrates something we all face, and that is we are all at a place where we fight, and evil's right here, and here we are, and we're battling evil all the time. And the king, there was a steward of Gondor, but the king wasn't there. And so they would never have complete and total victory. And they're waiting for the king to come back. And that's where we are. We're in a place where we fight this battle with the enemy day in, day out. But without Jesus here, we never really win. I mean, we never have a complete and total victory. We're waiting for our king to return. So in the movie, it's called Return of the King. That's what that's about. Because you were warned. Oh, that's what that's about. Yeah, that's what that's about. The same thing you and I are waiting for. We are waiting for the return of the king. We are waiting for Jesus to come back. And surely you know that. Surely we talk about that all the time. 
Soon, very soon, we are going to see the king. You ever see, uh, heard that before? Uh, the, uh, we are waiting for Jesus to come back because when Jesus gets back, all this gets settled. But until he gets back, it's tough time. But while we are waiting for the king, in order for us to be the strong body of believers that we have, we know we have access to the Father, but now we also have a responsibility, responsibility to do what it is he put us here to do. Because I have access and he's given me all the tools, everything I need, now I need to use those tools. Just go, let's go back to my gym analogy. Just because you have a membership and you can get in and you have access to all the equipment that you need to become the person that you need to be, now you've got to use it and use it faithfully until he gets back, until, until he returns. And this is where we have gone awry. Awry. Because... We're like those, like me, in my gym memberships of times past. I was a member, but I didn't show up. I didn't do it. I wasn't doing the things that I needed. I wasn't exercising every day. I wasn't doing the things I knew I needed to do to be the person I wanted to be. And, and we get to thinking that this is kind of like all this is about is me be getting in better physical shape. And we start thinking, yeah, I think I'm happy with who I am. You ever done that? You know, you're going to start at a diet and it's like, no, I'm kind of happy at this weight. I kind of just like, because they, those Krispy Kremes look really good. And I, and I think I'm just going to be happy the way I am. We disregard what the doctor said. We disregard what we've told ourselves in the past. And we kind of get in church like that. It's like, you know what? I'm never going to be super spiritual. I'm never going to be a giant of the faith. I'm okay with that. I just, I'm just going to be who I am. Not realizing that that is from the enemy because God knows the urgency of the hour, the urgency of the hour. And he knows when you and I aren't holding our post, when you and I aren't staying on the watchtower, when you and I aren't diligent, we let our guard down. And when our guard comes down, the enemy advances and he takes more than we thought he would. He always does. Every time we let our guard down, every time we don't do what we know we need to do, the enemy advances and takes more than we thought he would. And then it's too late. Now we, then we're trying to get it back and, and, and can't. Um, look what he says in, in verse 23 of chapter 10. He says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without Wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Why do we do it day in and day out? We are to be faithful to serve in the body, be faithful to serve in the body, because Jesus is faithful to you. The reason why we do it day in, day out is because Jesus does it day in, day out for us, and he is true to his word. He is going to come back. He gave a parable about these, these virgins who had lamp oil or whatever, and, and some were prepared and some weren't prepared. And those who were prepared were ready when he returned, when the master returned, and those who were not prepared were left behind. Hence a series of books called Left Behind uh, and, uh, and th- that type of thinking. 
And, and it's, it's a real thing in that you and I are told to be prepared and we need to be prepared. So we need accessibility, responsibility, and the last thing is accountability. Accountability. Here is the secret to every workout routine. Having a workout buddy. Having a workout partner. Having somebody who will do it with you. This is the key to success within the body of Christ. This is why small groups are so important. This is why it's so important to connect with other people. Why, why it's important to be a part of a Sunday school class or, or a Bible study. Or at least have somebody who you meet with. I have an accountability partner. and we've been, we've been accountability partners. We talk this morning. We talk every day. Every day. That's the miracle of modern technology is we can communicate every day. And, uh, and sometimes it's very, very, very brief. But we communicate with each other every day. And we have done that since 1990, since the year 2000. So for 18 years. And before him, I had another one. And we did that since 1992. So since 1992, I've had somebody that I've communicated with on a very regular basis to keep going. Now, I wish I had the same for my physical endeavors, but in my spiritual endeavors, I have to have this. And I know I have to have it because I know I won't stay focused. I won't won't stay on track if I don't maintain these levels of accountability with other people. And you won't either. We were not meant to do this alone. You're better in the company of other people. That's why he has, that's why he connects us with each other. That's why he has, look what he says in verse 34. He says, or verse 24 rather. He says, and let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Let us be, think of it, in order to promote love and good, in order to have love become better. When you, you and I, we're all bad about this and you know it. We all look and say how unloving that person is. And we do not take any personal responsibility for that. But we have to. If you see somebody in the church who's unloving, guess who's responsible? You are. You are. Because they're part of your body. You and that person are part of the same body of believers. You are to be doing all that is possible within you. And you say, well, I I can't change them. I know you can't change them, but God can change them. Well, then God's going to have to do it. Well, God called you to do it. Well, I don't have the ability. He gives you the ability. Now, this is where you have to ask the question. Do you believe when he says, I can, when you, when he says the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you believe that? Do you believe you can love unlovable people? Do you believe you can be an encouragement to people who are extremely discouraging? Do you believe you can show grace to the most ungracious of people on the planet? Can you do all things through Christ who strengthens you? He says, verse 25, he says, not staying away from our worship meetings. This is every, I, I've held this back. I should have, I could have preached the entire message on this one verse. This is every preacher's favorite verse to empty pews. And that is, yes, the Bible does tell us that we need to go to church that we are supposed to be here and that it is a tendency for us not to be here to worship together. He says, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, 
but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. When you look and see how bad the world is, I'm going to tell you, it is in direct correlation to the fact that people don't feel the need to come together and worship together anymore. The church grows weaker because we don't show up. It is as simple as the gym. You become a member, but you don't show up. Or you show up and you don't actually work out. I've done that. I have actually gone to the gym, walked around the gym, and thought, ah, I don't really feel like doing this. And then go home and think that counts. Because I was there, right? I went to the gym. It doesn't count if you don't do anything, if you don't work out. I feel like I'm scolding you a little bit. So let me just say this. Be an encouragement. Be an encouragement to each other. To discover and fulfill Jesus' calling and ministry for our lives. Meaning, come together in these places of worship. And don't just show up. But begin to ask yourself, what, God, why did you connect me with these people? How can I encourage them to be who they are created to be? And don't stop there. When you go home, do the same thing. Why did you put me with these people in this house? Why did you connect me with this group? Why do we have these children? Or why do we have each other? Or why are we in this community? Why do I have these people in my life? And how can I encourage them to be who they were created to be? And then God will raise up people in your life to encourage you to be who God created you to be. Do you ever think, I, I'm going to close, but let me close with this. I, um, when I was um, 10, when I was that scrawny kid in school, 5'1", five, 5'2", whatever pounds, 6, 70, 80 pounds. I was in, when I was in middle school and I was super small in middle school. Um, but I had a new, we had a new preacher and his wife, uh, he was early twenties. She was in her early twenties. We were their first church and she was a music person. And so she played the piano and she thought I had a talent for singing. And so she wanted to teach me to sing. And so she, Taught me, it's a little bit emotional for me, but she taught me to sing the song, It Is Well for My Soul, and, and practiced and practiced and practiced and went through all the everything. She wanted me to do it right and do it well. And so she was trying to raise my singing beyond that of a small Baptist church to, where I could sing in a, in a nice choir someday. That, that was never going to happen. But anyway, she, she was bringing some professionalism into our little tiny rural church. And so she taught me how to sing, It Is Well with My Soul. And I remember I never sang it. <laughs> I never did a solo of it as well of my soul. And I practiced practice because our church fired that preacher. And because um, spent, they spent too much time working with young people. I know it sounds crazy, but that's the church. And, uh, and, so, uh, and so anyway, so whatever. But I remembered that. She got cancer when I was an adult and pastoring a church in Ohio County, a little rural church. And she came and spoke to our church and so forth and told us what was going on. And I remember um, she, was, she was a fighter. She lived four or five years and, and fought through this and, and was even on Good Morning America. And, and God used her as a light to, to give courage to other people. 
And when she died, they called me. There was a, she was from um, a church in Bowling Green, a larger church in Bowling Green. So they had this huge funeral with, you know, there were at least a thousand people there at her funeral. And, and in this big church packed in of all these people. And they called me and didn't ask me to preach the funeral because there were like 30 preachers that could preach her funeral. And so they asked them, but they did ask me. They said, we do want you to come sing a song. And they said, do you know what song to sing? And I said, yes. And I remember singing the song that she taught me to sing to bring comfort to her family at her funeral. And that's how God works. He's using, I, I think back and I think how I would have never thought, how she could have never thought as a 20-year-old girl, 20-year-old girl with a 12-year-old boy teaching that boy in a little rural church in a town of less than 100 people, in a church with 30 people, teaching him to sing this song, that she's teaching him a song that's going to be used to comfort a thousand people when she's not able to sing that song herself. And that's what God does. That's what God does. So here's what I want you to ask. What are God's ministry goals for you? What is it that he wants you to do right now with the people that he's given you right now? Not 10 years from now, but right now. What is it that he wants you to do? And as you're thinking about that, ask this question. What are God's ministry goals for those around you? Who are the people that God is putting into your life? I mean, you think that they may be insignificant because they're children. Or you might think that it doesn't matter because they're adults. I don't know what... Just look at who's there. Who are the people that are right there that come to you and you have the opportunity to minister to? Don't just ask, what do I do for these people? Ask yourself, what does God want to do with these people? So that I can train and equip them to do that. So I can help them to do that. And if nothing else, just encourage them to do it. Just encourage them to sing for the Lord. Just encourage them to, to be who God made them to be. Just to encourage them not to quit. Not to leave the faith. Maybe that's all he wants you to do. But it starts with you and me saying, I'm a part of this. And I'm going to do what he put me here to do. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, for your love and for your grace. And Father, just pray today that we will be the people that you put us here to be. Lord, that we, we have been given access to you. And Father, now, Lord, may we be responsible enough. To do what it is you put us here to do. And Father, may we realize we can't do this alone. But Father, may we help train others, knowing that by training them, may we may be training the people that have to take care of us later on. We may be teaching our children how to care for elderly people now because they're going to be the ones who care for us when we're elderly. Whatever the case. Lord, may we be faithful to you and what you're calling us to do. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.